Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would seal our heart, that you would help us to be prone not to wander, that we would be drawn ever more towards you. Lord, we thank you for seeking us, though we were a stranger. We thank you for that gift of grace, of faith that you give us every single day. Remind us, Lord, the fount of the blessing that we have, it comes from you. Everything we have comes from you. We thank you and we praise you. In your name, amen. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. I love food. Anybody else love food? Show of hands. Yeah, a couple of double hands up. All right. I, I, like, I, I just, like, there is nothing better in this world than sitting down to a good meal. All right? Like that moment when you're in a restaurant and you see the server come out and you're like, recognize that's our food. And your heart's just like so overjoyed. Uh, sitting down, and it, it could be any kind of meal. Maybe it's like a Thanksgiving meal that you've been working on all day and you finally get to sit down and like survey the table. But even down to like, I don't know about you, when, when I order Uber Eats and my little phone dings and says that it's there, I just get so happy. <laughs> There's just such this joy that comes about me. You know, I, my buddies and I, we went on a vacation uh, together one time to, to Vermont, of all places. And while we were there, we actually had two absolutely amazing meals. One of them, what I'm about to say is sacrilege. We went to a barbecue place in Vermont. I know. But when we were there, uh, there were six of us, right? There was like a, a family platter that was supposed to serve eight to ten. Yeah, yeah, we went for it. And they brought it out, this huge tray of smoked meats. I think there was an angelic choir that opened up in the heavens as it, as it came out. Uh, but then also we got together uh, the last day we were there. It was a Sunday, and we made just like a Sunday feast. We did a Sunday roast, and we had the potatoes, and all. it was so good. And a fresh-baked pie. And I remember sitting down and just thinking, like, we made this. This is great. There's something so joyful about eating. And, and, and God knows this, right? So many of his miracles, so many of his experiences were around food. Now, for me, this has gotten me in a little bit of trouble. I have uh, had to watch what I eat lately. And I, actually, since November, watching what I've eaten, going on walks, nothing special. I've lost, like, 40 pounds, right? Yeah, and, and it, like, but that means, oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you. That means, you know, that I, I got to be a little more careful about what I eat and kind of watching stuff. But did you catch in our readings today that apparently diets aren't biblical? Did you catch this? Isaiah chapter, or chapter 55, verse 2, it says this. Maybe you caught it. Listen diligently to me. Pay attention. That's what it says. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. It's right there in the Bible. So if you go to brunch later and you say, you know, should I have the egg white omelet and side salad? Go with like the crab cake eggs benedict. It's in the Bible. You've got to listen to God, right? Well, today for our, our main text, we're going to be looking at that gospel reading, uh, looking at food and God providing abundantly. Before we go into that, though, let's go to our God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today, for this chance that you've given us to come together in worship, here in person, online, wherever and whenever that may be. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for the chance to share your words, your message, your truth. Lord, let it be your message. Move me out of the way. This is not about me. This is about you. I submit myself to you. And I trust that your truth will be proclaimed. 
We thank you and we praise you. In your name, amen. Special welcome to those of you joining online for the sermon. That's right, we have a slightly different angle, hopefully a little more high res. Great to have you with us today. As I mentioned, that main text is going to be our gospel reading, which if you just are watching the sermon online, you didn't get to hear it. So I'm going to share it real quick, just so we have it fresh in our mind. This is from Matthew chapter 14. Now, when Jesus heard about the death of John, and that's an insert, it just said we heard about the news, uh, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, well, bring them to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, A blessing. What a great note, by the way. As they're thinking about how there wasn't enough food, still Jesus gave thanks. Are you able to give thanks for a little? Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. This is a tremendously famous passage of Scripture, a famous miracle that Jesus performed. In fact, it is almost the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels. I say almost because his resurrection also is in all four, and that's clearly miraculous. So other than those two they aren't all represented. Even like uh, healing of a blind man or helping somebody who couldn't walk, helping them to walk. Uh, Even Lazarus isn't mentioned in all four Gospels, but the feeding of the 5,000 is there. And it's actually not just 5,000 because it says that there were women and children present as well. And so uh, it could have been up to 15, 20,000, right? And so this, this story, this Um, miracle was so significant in the lives of the disciples of the apostles that they said you know this needs to be included in this story of Jesus and I think it's because it shows so well not only the character of Jesus but also responsibility of the church of the disciples and that which came from the disciples So this miracle is so incredibly important. But I also recognize that you've probably heard the feeding of the 5,000 dozens of times when it comes to hearing sermons about it. So I wanted to figure out what's going on, but we'll get into that. I want to set the scene. So Jesus is traveling around. This is kind of the height of his ministry. And he finds out about John the Baptist, his cousin, his partner in ministry, the one who was preparing the way for him was just murdered by Herod while he was imprisoned in Herod's kingdom. And and what an interesting contrast to see the feast of the feeding of the 5,000, all these people gathered together and sharing in this meal, compared with earlier in Matthew 14, we see another feast in Herod's kingdom, in his castle, in his court, where he has the elite gathered together, eating probably the finest of foods, and his daughter-in-law is there dancing for him and pleases him so much that he tells her, I will do anything for you. And that anything that she asks for, 
is the head of John the Baptist on a platter. To see the anger and the hatred and the elitism that comes from this King Herod's feast and the compassion and welcoming that comes with Jesus' feast contrasted is noteworthy. So we see Jesus, he, he's kind of coming together. Disciples, um, they're, they're watching him heal. And it's worth noting, by the way, as Jesus heals this, or as Jesus ex- experiences this, he's gone off on his own. After hearing the news of John the Baptist, he's, he's heard. Remember, Jesus is fully man, fully human, and just received traumatic news. And so what does Jesus do? He takes time for himself, or at least he tries to which is an aside, if you encounter something in your life and you think, no, I just had to power through it. If Jesus, God himself, had to take time to process a trauma, why would you think that you don't have to? Why would you think that you don't have to take some time for self-care if Jesus did? But Jesus goes off on his own, and, and of course, being Jesus at the height of his ministry, the people follow him. And it, it doesn't say that he's like, ah, oh, people, all the time with the people. No, instead it says he had what? And he began healing them. Well, this must go on for a period of time. Again, you've got 15,000, 20,000 people. That's like an entire stadium uh, for the Houston Rockets, right, if it was full. Or, or the Astros, if it was half full. Like, to, just to get a, a picture of the scale of how big this crowd is, if there are 15,000, 20,000 people there. We call it the feeding of the 5,000, but probably significantly more. So the disciples suddenly have a very real, very legitimate concern. They're looking around saying, we are in the middle of nowhere. There are no restaurants around. We checked. There's no Uber Eats here. They will not deliver here Grubhub, DoorDash. None of them are coming here, Jesus. You've got to send these people away so they can go back into the town, go to the inns, go to their, their houses, and they can provide for their own meal. They're getting hungry. And reality is, if we're being honest, probably the disciples were getting hungry, right? Like, they're getting a little hangry. They're like, oh, Jesus, come on. Can you wrap it up? We thought that this was going to be a short thing, and now we've been here all day, and I am starving. Right? Basically, they're saying that these people have a need. This is a very legitimate thing that they are reacting to. But Jesus responds in a very interesting way. He looks at his disciples, and he says, you feed them. And even in the Greek, there is an emphasis on the you. You feed them. Remember, he's talking to the disciples, the apostles, those from which the church happened. He's talking to the church. And so when it comes to those who are hungry in our midst, when it comes to those who have need, Jesus is looking us in the eye, breaking the fourth wall and saying, you feed them. Do something about it. Unfortunately, throughout history, we have taken, especially here in America, we've taken the church's responsibility to literally feed, but also even in some sense spiritually, emotionally, deal with some of the mental health things. We've outsourced it to the government. We say, oh, you know, they they deal with the homeless population. They deal with the people in need. There are government assistance programs that you can be on. That's why here at Christ Memorial, we donate to Memorial Assistance Ministries um, because they truly are a ministry. They keep the focus on God. We work through them. We want to make sure that here in this area, the people who have actual physical worldly needs are met. And when you donate to Christ Memorial, that is part of where your money goes to, is supporting man, so that people will be literally fed. 
through our school. We are feeding school children who don't have meals, that don't know where their next meal is going to come from because we take this call, this challenge from Jesus seriously. You feed them. But there's also a spiritual component here. Because this, this whole feeding of the 5,000, there are a lot of elements that remind us of communion, of the Eucharist, the sacrament of the altar, whatever you want to call it, the last supper that became the Lord's Supper. It was evening, he has bread, he breaks it, he tells them to go and pass it out right there. There are a lot of parallels, not only to that, but also to the manna in the desert for the Israelites, right? This challenge that Jesus has to go and feed, it's not just about caring for the physical needs, it's also about reaching the spiritual needs of the community. Take note, by the way, what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say, all right, well, let's see, we've got like 15, 20,000 people here. Well, obviously not everybody's going to understand what I've been saying, so I want to make sure that we're only feeding those who are part of what we talk about, those who buy in to the vision, those who buy into this. We're only going to feed them. No, that is not what Jesus says. In fact, in other Gospels, it says divide them up into groups of 50, logistical reasons, but he doesn't say like, hey, um, Find the ones that support me. Find the ones that buy into this. Find the ones that they don't use the word Christian yet, but they'll eventually be called Christian. Those are the ones we want to focus on. No, all are welcome at this feast. And if you think about it, probably there were some Pharisees there. Probably there were some religious leaders that seemed like they were following him around. He didn't delineate. He just said all are welcome, and that should be a message for us as well, the church. May we recognize that all are welcome at the Feast of God. It's worth noting, by the way, that the disciples, their reaction was to send people away. To say, hey, Jesus, we can't handle this number of people. We can't handle what's going on. You should send them away. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm not done with them. There's still something coming here. There's still a moment that they are supposed to be part of. So for us, the church, may we not be the ones to send people away from God. May you as an individual not be the one to send people away from God. I can't control what other churches do, what other pastors do. And unfortunately, there are a lot of pastors who have sent people away from God. There's one that's going around viral right now of a, a megachurch preacher who is chastising his community, his congregation, his flock, chastising them, saying, you guys show up late and you leave early and you're just treating this like it's a consumer thing. This is terrible and you should all examine your hearts. And it's like, where's the gospel in that? Where's the love and the compassion for, for the young mother who's trying to organize and get her kids together on a Sunday morning? Where, where's the compassion for the shift worker who barely was able to wake up in time to make it here? Where's the compassion for the person with the social anxiety that's sitting and milling about and talking to people is terrifying, but they still want to be part of church? We can't control what other churches, what other pastors, what other people do in terms of sending people away from God, but we can control ourselves. May we never send somebody away from God. I'm going to be honest with you guys, a little vulnerable right now. I, I've always struggled with this miracle, like the physics of it, right? 
because you picture like the, the, the man born blind, right? Jesus rubs some mud on his eyes. He says, go and wash. And when he washes, suddenly he can see. Okay, that makes sense. His eyes are closed. He opens them up. Something's happened and now he can see. Even the water into wine, right? There's this, the, the, these tubs of water that they can't really see into because they're probably stone basins. And suddenly they scoop it out and like, oh, it's wine. I don't know how or why that. But the bread, I have always struggled with this. How did that work? Was it like a basket with like a cloth over it and every time they reached in there was more bread? Were they holding the loaves that were suddenly growing in their hands? I don't understand how physically, like what were the senses that they could see of these five loaves being able to feed some 20,000 people? I still wrestle with this, to be completely honest. I did see in a couple of commentaries, and, and I'm not sure... This is me being open. I'm not sure that I buy into this because it does change things slightly. But it's interesting. It's worth thinking about, at least. Um, that As it recorded in, in uh, I believe it's John's Gospel, it says that the five loaves and two fish came from a kid. Basically, he brought his own snack. He was smart enough to, like, I'm bringing my own stuff. And, and so the disciples, uh, shall we say, appropriate this kid's snack. And Jesus, that's what Jesus uses to feed the 5,000. Uh, these commentaries suggested, what if, the generosity of the kid was actually just inspirational for the other people who were there. That surely this kid wasn't the only one who thought to bring a meal. Surely this kid wasn't the only one who thought, you know, I should, that G, he likes to talk for a long time. I should bring a snack along with me, right? Surely he wasn't the only, there had to be a mom in the crowd that had a bag of goldfish, right? Cheerios, whatever it is. Surely somebody else had it. So what if, and this is the speculation of the commentary, again, uh, it's interesting to think about, what if this kid giving over his meal inspired others to also share their meal? And this whole dividing up into groups of 50 was, hey, you now have a small community, feed each other. There are those who didn't bring a meal and those who brought more than enough. There's an abundance here to share. In between services, somebody said, so it's like the first potluck, Right? But that, that miracle of community, because that's the concern, right? That it's removing some of the supernatural from the miracle, and that's probably true. That's probably why it probably wasn't the case. But it's worth thinking about, isn't it? That, that God brought this community together. God brought this group of people together, and they're able to care for each other's needs. That there is an abundance because of what God had provided, because of his blessing. That certainly changes the way that we interact with this miracle, doesn't it? The recognition of the abundance that we have in our lives and of those who are in need and being able to share with them, whatever that blessing looks like. But there's an even bigger message that I want to make sure you hear from this miracle. And that is uh, that the disciples looked at these five loaves and these two fish, and they said, Jesus, this isn't enough. There's a lot of people here. This, this isn't even enough to feed us, the disciples, let alone the other thousands upon thousands of people that are here. It's not enough. The author Brene Brown says that we live in a never-enough society. That when we wake up in the morning, we're still tired because we never get enough sleep. We go to work and we, we can't get all the things on our to-do list done because there's never enough time. We come home and we don't have the energy to play with the kids and cook dinner and clean the dishes and clean the house. 
we lay in bed and stay awake and toss and turn because there's never enough money to pay for all the bills and all the fees at school and the back to school supplies and, and oh and my car has a flat tire and all these different things it's never enough but what this miracle is saying is with God you always have enough for God to do something incredible you always have enough for God to do something incredible. You may listen to the lies of the world that says, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not successful enough, I don't have enough influence, I'm not, I'm not good enough of a leader, I'm not good enough of a, of a parent, I'm not lovable enough. And that's a lie. That's a lie of the world, that's a lie you're telling yourself, saying, I'm not good enough. Pastor Stephen Furtick says it this way, with God, never not enough. Never not enough. Because God gives us enough. God makes us enough. Never not enough. In fact, right now, turn to your neighbor. Turn to the person sitting next to you. A little interactive. Lutherans don't usually do this, but it's okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, never not enough. Because that is what you need to hear. You are enough. Through God who loves you, through God who gives you grace, who gives you righteousness. In Scripture we see if all have fallen short of the glory of God, all have fallen short of what God expected of us, but that's okay because God picks us up when we fall short and places us on her, His firm foundation. God gives us grace and mercy so that we are enough, not by anything that we ever do, thank God for that, but by what He did for us. He multiplies the blessings in our lives. You are enough through Jesus Christ. Through the love of God, you are enough. So when you go out into the world, don't believe the lie, I'm not good enough, I can't do this, I don't have the talent, I don't have the time, I don't have the interest, I don't have whatever it takes. God says, no, I'm going to do incredible things through you. You are enough because of Christ. So my friends, my brothers and sisters united in faith to God. I pray that you can find the strength to know that you are enough. I pray that you can recognize that God is at work in this place, that God is at work in your life, in our lives. That through Him we can reach out and reach so many people. We can reach out people and help them to have food, Physically, perhaps, emotionally, we can help people to know what it means to have hope. And maybe you're thinking, no, 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 not me, preacher, that's your job. You are enough. God will do incredible things through you. You're enough with God. Amen.